0: so i'm so excited to announce that we have a sponsor for this week's episode and one of the reasons i'm excited is because i've actually purchased several gifts from this business in the name of grace it does unique custom gifts and rentals they have coasters t-shirts mugs wine glasses they even started a bridal collection y'all i'm a unique individual and you know i'm gonna want unique things for my wedding coming up In the Name of Grace will listen and work with you on what you want. All you have to do is message them on Facebook or Instagram. You can find them under In the Name of Grace, Grace being G-R-A-Z-E. And only for our listeners, they will give you a 10% discount if you mention you heard them in the August 12th episode of the Be Yourself podcast. So check them out, In the Name of Grace. Siblings are the first best friends that a person will ever have. And I was blessed with amazing siblings. My sisters are the best friends a gal can ask for. So when we were surprised with a baby brother 23 years ago, it was hard to imagine what our world was going to be like. For me, I couldn't think of what we would ever have in common. I mean, for one, he was the only male sibling and two, we are 10 years apart. But at 13, my brother surprised us all by getting on stage and performing at one of the poetry slams I attended. We ended up having a lot more in common than I could ever imagine. And I am grateful for it every day. Eliseo Seja, also known as Eli, is the executive director of the Laredo Stroke Support Group, a nonprofit providing crucial adaptive therapy to stroke survivors. Eli also serves on the Laredo Border Slam Board of Directors as their youth coordinator. He is a two-time Slam champion and has been on five Laredo Border Slam teams. He is also the co-founder of Youth Poets Ignite, a spoken word project providing teens with writing workshops and performing opportunities, allowing them to express themselves freely. Eli continues to study and learn more about what life is all about. He is also going to be starting his master's program to study public health with a concentration on healthcare leadership. Now, I hope you enjoy my conversation with my baby brother, Eliseo Ceja. Hi, Eli. Welcome to the Be Yourself podcast.
1: Hi, B. How are you?
0: Good. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm doing well. I think as best as I could be uh, considering the circumstances that we're living in.
0: So I, just, I should warn you that I'm not going to take it easy on you just because you're my brother. <laughs> um I wanna have a good conversation with artists. Uh so I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna ask you tough questions.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think I am okay. I think I'm ready.
0: Okay. I'm probably not gonna least. ask you that many <laughs> tough questions. <laughs> um okay, so you are currently the youth coordinator for Laredo Border Slam.
1: Yes, that is that is correct. I am the um youth coordinator for Laredo Border Slam and I am mostly Uh, in charge of the um, Young Poets Ignite, Youth Poets Ignite, which is a youth organization um, trying to bring uh, young writers together and exposing them to spoken word poetry through a series of workshops, uh, open mics, and poetry slams. Um, And so currently we're working with the Laredo Public Library Mm-hmm. They've been very very nice into opening their doors for us, and especially the tab, which is the Teen advisory board for the Laredo public library and they are the ones that host our um that allow us to host our poetry workshops there with them um yeah
0: um the teen advisory board um that's a board created by teens, correct.
1: That is correct, yes. Um, So the Teen Advisory Board is a board created by teens to create more uh, um, programs for teens in the area. It's completely ran by teens. So I think it's so beautiful that the public library allows them to do this, but they are able to make decisions to bring up uh, uh, um, different uh, programs, events, anything like that and they get to make the final decision. And I think they even have rules where adults aren't even able to chime in during their their meetings because they want to be able to give these um a teenagers a chance to really get exposed to making decisions, not only that, but being able to use their voice and and being able to make their decisions and and making programs available for youth from the youth, you know
0: that's awesome, um, it's giving the opportunity for youths to to have their voices be heard,
1: exactly, yeah, I think that's so so cool
0: so um, youth poets ignite, which is the the poetry slam for those twenty and under, has been around before Laredo Border Slam had a board and had a, an assigned youth coordinator,
1: yeah. Yeah, so um I I wish I could remember the actual year that we started but we kind of the idea started back in 2013. The idea was there and it was strong and and we kept jumping back and forth from having workshops every once in a while and then we'd get in a in a in a big high and and have a whole bunch of workshops and one or two slams, and and keep going, and then it would kind of die down, and then we would come back up, and I think it wasn't until um, 2017, 2016, when um, YPI got very well established as Laredo Board of Slam, opened the the board position as youth coordinator, and of course, you were the first um, youth coordinator, and so I think that's when it really set in and and that's when we started working with the Laredo Public Library but history to that yeah it was it's been a while it's been a while since we've been around and literally it was just because I couldn't do a lot of the things that um, I wish I could do because I was an adult yet I wasn't an adult yet so I wasn't able to join Laredo Border Slam in many of the of the uh, competitions that they'd be able to go to or uh, you know just 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 that
0: and you weren't an adult yet, so you weren't able to join the competitions of Laredo Border Slam. How old were you when you started Laredo Border Slam?
1: Um, I first went up on stage, and I was so it's twenty eleven. I don't know how that how old that makes me.
0: And you were like twelve, thirteen, maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to say I was thirteen. Pretty sure I was thirteen. So I went up on stage for the first time when I was when I was thirteen, and um, ever since then I just kind of fell in love with it, and I I wanted to keep doing it. But I also knew that there was a movement for young kids to be able to do this in a, in within their level and be able to get experiences with their peers. And so I just I fell in love with that idea. I first knew um, youth poetry existed when I was um, exposed to, obviously, YouTube videos, and I found uh, BNV, which is Brave New Voices, a um, an international competition um, put together for the youth, and, and it's a big poetry slam uh, uh, event put together each year. It's in different towns around the U.S., and I just, I was just, in awe by by what was going on and especially the community that existed. It was just so different from the community within the adult um uh, uh peeps because it was just far much more inviting not to say the adults aren't inviting but you know it was far much more inviting and, and just everybody wanted to give the youth an opportunity for their voices to be heard. And I just thought that was amazing, and so that's when I first started wanting to create a youth movement here in Orredo
0: For the youth to have their voices be heard exactly through yeah. slam poetry: mm-hmm. So I remember um back when you got started, so if this was two thousand eleven, it was uh when you because you're twenty you're twenty two twenty three you're twenty three now. now
1: big yikes so
0: yeah (laughs) so you were around 12 uh so uh, around 12 13 um I remember making a deal with our mom and basically telling her let me take him to slam with the agreement that you would wake up every morning at 7 a.m to get ready for school and there would be some nights that you would go to slam And there would be some nights that you wouldn't go to slam because you weren't waking up early to go to school. (laughs) Uh, uh, But I can't seem to remember why. Like, how did it all get started? Uh, So what drew you to to poetry?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, the answer is you. That's without a doubt. I I first saw you perform um, back when you were having a festival at um, the Hut, I think. Um, that's the first time I ever saw you perform. And I was like, wow, that's crazy cool. But I think before that, I had been doing UIL po- prose and poetry. Mm-hmm. So I knew this kind of performance poetry existed. But when I first saw you and you kind of got off the stage and we had already talked about me doing UIL prose and poetry. You got off the stage and I remember asking you like, oh, what was that? <laughs> like, oh, mm-hmm. where does that <laughs> even come from? And and then after that, I think it was just like the, the following year, um, Chibi started Loretta Border Slam, and, and you started going, and then um, I, you started performing, and I would go, and then uh, out-of-town poets started coming. I remember we had um, three out-of-town poets from Austin come down, and that's when I was really like, wow, this is so cool. And then Big Papa E um, came down, and I was like, okay, this is really cool and And then i I just got the courage to write something and and went up there and and performed it myself, so I think it was just the the exposure that I had that really got me and 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 I knew that that's what I wanted to do
0: um Do you remember your first time going on stage
1: i am trying to forget it as much as I can
0: <laughs> why? <laughs>
1: It was terrible. I mean, I was mind you, I was thirteen. Of course, it was going to be uh, terrible. I I still can't even go back to that video, and I just I mean, okay. So to begin with, obviously, I hadn't gone through puberty, so my <laughs> voice is just so cringy to to listen to to begin with, and then after that, I could kind have of sworn that I was in love and knew exactly what being heartbroken was. And so that was my first poem. It
0: was being uh, I heartbroken even, at 13. <laughs> I don't even
1: know what to say. <laughs> yes, I remember it, but I wish to forget it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was your life before poetry?
1: Um, It was me trying to prove that I was... Uh, um, I don't know how to say this, sorry that for that big pause i it was me trying to prove that I was the son my dad always wanted me to be. I think mm-hmm. I have this this recollection of um uh me being at a at a baseball game for little league um yeah, I was in a baseball game for little league and and you and and my sisters and 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 the rest of my sisters and and my mom and my dad and my grandma were all there. And everybody had kind of made arrangements to go see me play. And I appreciated everybody for that. But halfway through my baseball game, you kind of stood up and said, all right, you know, I'm going to head out to the Slam. It was good seeing you play. And I was like, man, I really want to go to the Slam instead of playing this baseball thing. And that's kind of when I, like, found out that I was kind of living a life where, like, I I just... I. You know, the things that normally sit well just were not something I was really interested in, you know what I mean?:
0: mm-hmm.
1: It wasn't just baseball; it was it, just me like, you know I don't consider myself being the smartest person in the world, but I really enjoyed at one point in during middle school, I really enjoyed reading anime books. I read mm-hmm. Bleach for a while. And I never showed that to anybody. I mean, like I would have to go and, and read it by myself because the the area that I was raised around or, or the place that I was raised around, just I just didn't sit well with people. And like, if you were caught reading those kinds of things, you were kind of like, the way they call it, like a freak or like a nerd. And I just, mm-hmm. I obviously didn't want that title for myself at that time. And so, yeah, I felt like I was trying very hard to be the ideal person for the place and the people that I was hanging out with.
0: The community that you were born in.
1: Mhm, mhm, exactly, yeah.
0: Um and what was life after poetry?
1: Well, I think it was still not the best because the community that I was raised around is still there. Mm-hmm. But people started and in- I think this is where I started um, to kind of prove to people that it doesn't really matter what the hell I want to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And so I started writing poetry and I started getting far much more involved in UIL poetry instead of going to baseball practice or instead mm-hmm. of doing any other sport. Mm-hmm. And that's when people were like, okay, Eli is a nerd, but still kind of cool, you know, (laughs) and like, that's, that's kind of when I started to realize, like, yeah, I don't care if I'm not the ideal person, I'm still going to do things that I love. But I still want to be around the community that I was raised with, like, I, you know, those people are still my diehard friends. And so, yeah, like, I think I I was still able to do both. And, And people really respected me for that. Of course, at first, I would get the obvious, like, oh, you know, you're, you're such a weirdo for doing that, or you're such a nerd for being into those things, but then you really try to find out who matters the most, and who doesn't, and that's Mm -hmm. when you find out who does and who doesn't.
0: So, you mentioned um, a community that you were raised in that wasn't really accepting of being like quote unquote a nerd and and reading anime books and writing and reading poetry. What community is that? Um, What, what community did you grow up in or what kind of friends did you have that kind of set that tone?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it was mostly just, I mean, we are, uh, and I'm, I'm sure your listeners have an understanding of this, but we're raised in a border town. I was born and raised in a border town. I was also raised in a fairly bad neighborhood. And so uh, people raised around me were just kind of very machistas and and some didn't even have a father figure. So they had to become a father figure to their home at a very, very, very young age. And it was just kind of that, like, it was just like, bro, we have to grind. Uh, We don't have time to read books. And so it was very like, Either I jump with them and go and, and play basketball or play football, hoping that maybe one day they go to the pros and be able to pay off their their parents' debt, you know, and that's very far-fetched, mm-hmm. but it was either that or I choose my own road and read books and have other things that interest me. And of mm-hmm. course, you know, my parents still had to struggle, but I am very, very thankful that we did not have the kind of struggle that they did. Mm-hmm. and I
0: would see and, and a lot because I, I know that I mean like obviously we were raised in the same high, uh, household um, but I think your struggle was probably a lot different than mine mm-hmm. um, not only because I'm so much older than you and you know it was I, I was doing my own thing um, but because of the community that we were raised in and because you were the only male in our family, you you were the only boy in our family, um, and on top of that, you were also diagnosed at a very young age with a heart disease.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so we like pampered you, but at the same time, we wanted you to become like manly because you were the only guy in the house other than our father.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that was always so interesting because you you guys kind of wanted me to be out and, and go out and play, but also when I would go out and play, you'd be like, no, don't do this because you have to take care of yourself. So it was always very like, <laughs> so what do you want from me, you know?
0: Uh-huh, um, yeah.
1: But it was also a struggle within myself to find out what I wanted. Like, you know, I really enjoyed hanging out with my friends. But also a big part of me kind of would have rather not and would have rather stay inside and enjoy time by myself. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. I know that makes it so, a little
1: um... melodramatic, but I just, I didn't, I didn't really enjoy being out and doing all these things. The memories that I created were beyond awesome, but it just, I don't know. It was just different for me. I don't know if that makes sense and I'm sorry if I'm just
0: it does because at the same time what you said right now was very interesting for you to say that you know we kind of wanted you to go out and play but at the same time we were very protective so it was like from your end it was like what do you want from me and then you started asking yourself okay what do I want for myself
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. so so that that makes sense that you stopped asking what it is that your family wanted from you or what you, your peers wanted from you, but what you wanted from yourself.
1: Yeah. And I think it, it's, it's funny because that's kind of the mentality that I had then, but throughout the years, I still struggled with wanting something and not doing it because I was afraid that I wasn't going to get accepted.
0: And would you say that poetry was kind of like that big revelation of like, it really doesn't matter what I end up choosing, I am going to have people that are going to support me?
1: Yeah, yeah, I really do think so. I really do think so. Because, you know, shortly after I joined the the poetry scene, I was able to join the community. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't write off the bat, I didn't, I wasn't able to go, you know, out to the bar with you guys or anything but yeah I still kind of had that sort of community feeling even at the the cafe that we were doing poetry at and people still kind of just reached out to me and it was kind of weird because I um I kept going to to the cafe that we used to go to and the barista comes up to me one time and and he says oh you want the usual that was kind of like the big realization like okay you know like people are accepting for who I am. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and it was weird, have... like it wasn't, it was, it was nothing to him, of course, he was just doing his job. But for him to actually acknowledge my order, and for him to yeah. actually remember it, it just mm-hmm. kind of opened my eyes to a community that existed, that I didn't know didn't.
0: Oh, that's so awesome. Um, that something as simple as that could really show you that there is a community out there for you Mm -hmm. and no matter how scared you are that there won't be one there is one out there for you yeah exactly that's awesome um do you have a poem that you could share with us
1: um yeah sure I'll, I'll share a poem um and I think it's mostly geared to um what we were talking about now this is a poem that I read um or that I wrote a good while back um it's it's a poem that i had a very hard time writing but but i really went through and and was able to kind of express myself the way that i wanted to um this called is um or this poem is called empty caskets after the fourth funeral with an empty casket a hopeful mother a prayer to san cristobal san antonio san judas Tadeo, and a rosary hanging in their hands. Their kids' names disappear with their bodies and they become a statistic. Each year, 23,000 people die in the war against drugs in Mexico. 19,000 of them are boys and girls under the age of 20. My mother calls, breaks breaks the news of another one of my friend gone missing in Mexico, tells me how lucky I am for leaving that neighborhood in one piece, says this as if luck was for me and destiny was for them three and four youth born in a bad neighborhood are to be dead by the age of 20 as if they have chosen this life as if this was some pre-existing illness they were born with us bad hombres are born with numbers instead of names and the system does nothing to change them turn the blind eye for destruction i mean distraction their names disappear off my tongue They become numbers to the society that did not try to save them. As for the one in four youth that are expected to live after 20, I say their names. I regret not being the fourth one. I say their names. I thank my parents for believing in me. I say their names. I curse the system for doing nothing to change the numbers. I say their names. I say their names. I say their names. They are not a number to be thrown around. They were a brother to some a friend to many and a son to one they had a future to look on to they have a name eddie medinam juan dominguez adan cabazos porque si hoy no llegan mañana los buscamos y si vivos se los llevaron vivos los queremos y nadie lo notó y nadie nunca vio y se vuelven invisibles y se desaparecen because if tonight they do not come home tomorrow we will look for them and if they took them alive, then alive we want them. And no one ever notices. And no one ever sees. And they become invisible and they disappear. But we continue to whisper prayers with rosaries and clenched f- fists in front of empty caskets. To the patron saints of la- of travelers, of lost things, of lost causes. And we pray that tomorrow we will find them. Usually, when
0: Whenever you read that poem... Live, Like when I actually get to see you perform that poem, I usually like break down in tears when when you say the names of, of those individuals, because those are individuals that I also saw a- around the neighborhood um, when they were kids, when they were little kids playing very innocent games. Um, and now, unfortunately, they're no longer with us. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's very sad to to hear their names um, and, and know that. Um, I introduced you to my social work goal goddess, Brene Brown. That is
1: correct. Um,
0: (laughs) And so (laughs) Brene Brown um, states that a lot of the times people say, well, I'm not artistic. And to her, it's like, "Mm, you are, you are just afraid to be vulnerable because for some reason, vulnerability sounds bad to people like it's a bad thing to be Mm -hmm. vulnerable um and so whether I mean it doesn't mean that you have to go out and say poetry in public or it doesn't mean that you have to create a great big art painting but you have an artistic side to yourself that allows you to you know let stuff out there and um be vulnerable to your feelings uh do you think that you weren't uh, you weren't given this opportunity in the beginning because of the community because of the the peers that you were raised around with
1: um i think so to a certain extent but the opportunity existed i just didn't want to take it because it just it wasn't cool to do it you know Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah so i think it it did the the opportunity was there but it wasn't reachable because i wasn't allowing myself to reach that sort of creativity in myself i had a you know i would i would journal every once in a while and and i thought it was obviously good at the time i kind of look back at it and and i'm like oh my gosh what were you thinking but you know that 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 was the opportunity like it was there and i was journaling but i just i hid it under my bed and nobody ever saw it nobody has ever seen it thank god I mm-hmm. hope nobody ever sees it um <laughs> but yeah I think the opportunity was there but I didn't allow myself to fully uh dive into it
0: do you think those individuals who were your friends or are no long and are no longer with us were given that opportunity
1: um I think to the best of their ability they weren't mm-hmm. but they were there. They just never noticed it or they never took advantage of it. I think one of them or or many of them would have been, you know, possibly really good players at, at some sort of sport. And if they would have dedicated themselves to it, maybe they could have gone up in, into possibly receiving some sort of scholarship or maybe even going as far as going into the the pros or something because they were very passionate when they were playing the sports. But at the end of the day, nobody was putting food on the table, so they had to go out and, and find ways to do that. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: obviously that was a priority to them.
0: Is that kind of a goal that you want to reach with Youth Poets Ignite?
1: Oh, that's without a doubt. Yeah, I think it just, I, you know, and, and nothing against the town that I live in. I think it's a beautiful town and there's plenty of opportunities, but I don't think there's enough for young individuals there is, sure enough, there's, you know, uh, programs run around every once in a while. It's like, oh, we're going to open a new library or we're opening a a digital library or, you know, the rec centers are open at all the times, which is cool. But where are the actual programs? You know, like, are you guys actually reaching out to the kids? Are you allowing the kids to to talk and, and show what they're thinking, express themselves the way they want to be expressed, be heard the way they want to be heard. And that's kind of what I'm shooting for is allowing them to be able to have a voice at the end of the day. You know, uh, a lot of these kids that are joining um, a YPI are very smart kids, and they know what the hell is going on in the world. And they do not like it. And they want to be heard about that. Because especially because this is their history, you know. Mm-hmm. We are preparing their history and they don't like the route it's going. So they want to be able to ex- express themselves and tell us the way that you are governing, the way that you are allowing us to do things is not right.
0: Mm-hmm. And and
1: that's what I want to be able to do with YPI. I, I want them to be, be be able to have that opportunity to tell us what they are thinking and, and how they want to shape history mm-hmm. or how we can shape history for them. Because
0: mm-hmm. they have a voice. Exactly. And a lot of the times we choose not to listen.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you, um, with as far as masculinity goes, um, was it hard being a heterosexual Hispanic male in poetry?
1: Um. I don't think so. I don't think so for me, but for other people, it could be because a lot of people just don't know how to stay in their lane. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was having a conversation a while back um, and we were talking about, about just staying in your lane and talking about things that pertain to you. Don't try to talk about things that just don't go with you or you don't know their experience. And so, you know, Me as a heterosexual man, I would talk about my struggles. Obviously, my struggles are nowhere near to other people's struggles, but I would stay in my lane. You know, I would speak about things like the poem I just read, or about depression, how heavy it was for me at times, or, you know, things that I have gone through being a Mexican man in the States. Those are the type of topics that I wish to talk about because they are things that I knew. And so, you know, if you kind of just stay in your lane and you talk about things that you know and respect others and their thoughts and, and their poetry, I wouldn't see why you would have any sort of problem. I, that's, you know, I've never had problem a problem being a heterosexual mm-hmm. Hispanic man in the poetry community
0: mm-hmm. because
1: I knew how to stay in my lane, if you will.
0: And you knew how to speak your, your own truth.
1: I think that's the important thing is knowing what your truth is and talking about that specific as well as I would. Have you always to.
0: known how to speak your truth?
1: No, I think I think from time to time when I was very, very young, I wanted to write things about maybe that, that just weren't pertaining to me. Like I once wrote a poem about uh, my friend getting bullied. and And I wrote a poem about how bullying could potentially drive her To committing suicide and kind of just stepping back after a year or two after writing that poem I was just kind of like okay I appreciate you bringing the awareness but you don't know half of the things that she may have been going through Mm -hmm. so just don't speak about it you know
0: Mm -hmm. because speaking your truth could be very hard for people and I think maybe sometimes they hide behind the awareness poetry um other than speaking their truth they w- they'll speak the truth for other people but it's not their truth you know what i'm saying like yeah. does that make sense
1: yeah yeah that definitely does make sense and i think I, I i knew of someone that did that a lot and so they kind of wanted to bring a lot of awareness and they were rather um privileged i mean he they were a a cis white man with a good amount of privilege and they just kind of wanted to bring awareness to the struggles that other people were going through and you know a lot of people appreciated the awareness that he was bringing but if that was kind of the only topic you would touch on it was a little tiring after a while
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and I like definitely what I want to bring awareness when it comes to um this episode and having you in the podcast is that when you do reach that acceptance of your truth and that stage of vulnerability and in your case you start performing and writing about it it changes your life like it it brings something new out of you
1: Yeah, I think so, too. I think it just kind of, I was able to understand the real problem going on around me and how I could not only um, speak about it and write poems about it, but also be some sort of activist about it, too. You know, Mm -hmm. when I started writing poems like the one I just read, it just kind of opened my eyes to being some sort of advocate. For, mm-hmm. for these youth that didn't have the opportunity that my friends did. And that's when I really started shooting for YPI to become something bigger than than what it is now even. Um, and I'm still shooting for that because I have the opportunity and they didn't. So I should take advantage of that and create something that that is gonna stop that from happening again.
0: hmm definitely.
1: Yeah, and I think- and- the- sorry, I think the uh-huh. vulnerability and the acceptance is very, very important to leading you to grow up to the person that you want to be. I I knew that I wanted to create some sort of awareness of some sort. I just didn't know how. But once I started to realize the struggles that existed around me, that's oh, when wow. I was, okay, time to step up, time to create a program that's going to give these kids an opportunity.
0: I've definitely seen that at least through your poetry, it's not just about the poetry. It's about how this it's making a change around you as well. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, in social work and in psychology, we study the stages of development and around the stages of seven through 11 and six through 12, um, many children start understanding growth and becoming accepting of themselves And when a traumatic event happens to them during this time, during this stage, um, a child might become timid because they are not growing like others are, or they're scared to show any sort of imperfection um, during this time. Um, And I remember you during this time as being a very shy, scared, timid person, and that's completely changed now. And um, I wish it
1: had as much as you say it has. <laughs> I, think, I think I still am very introvert to a certain extent. I know my people. Whenever I feel comfortable with somebody, I will be loud and and express myself as much as I want to. But whenever I don't, I'm definitely a big introvert. and And I just kind of, I know... Again, it's going back to stay in your lane. I know who to be comfortable with, and I know who not to be comfortable with. Or, or not necessarily comfortable, sorry, that, that might not have been the good word. But I kind of know who I could be loud and, 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 and express myself with and who I
0: can't. But so you guess... go on stage in front of a bunch of people. I mean, I can't imagine six, 12-year-old Eli doing that. I mean yeah. 10-year-old Eli doing that for sure. Right. No.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I think I think going on stage and being some sort of extrovert is very very different. I feel some sort of safety net while being on stage. And it's weird because at first, you know, very early on, I felt like the stage was the attention that I wanted to a certain extent. It
0: mm-hmm. was so
1: cool to be on stage and then for other people to be like oh did you see that you know 14 year old kid up there that's so cool he's such a vulnerable person for being up there and speaking about these things and that just kind of like fed me and and I felt good and 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 that leads me to you know another conversation for another time but that kind of led me to this whole writing poetry for the points and writing poetry for the attention which was not the best time of my of my poetry career
0: but, I mean, speaking from personal experience, we go through that, we do. Um, but again, I mean, like, I just can't imagine six, 10-year-old Eli going on stage at all because you were so scared. You were so shy mm-hmm. and timid. Mm-hmm. This was also around the time that you had gotten open heart surgery. Right, right. And again, like I was mentioning, like, you know, during these stages, you feel like if I'm not growing, like the people around me are growing. Then I need to kind of step out of the step out of the attention. I don't want the attention on me because I'm this person that's not growing as the people around me are growing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely do see that. I was very, very scared for a lot of things, as I still am. Um, but yeah, I think just being introduced to poetry and spoken word, uh, poetry in specific allowed me to step out of my bubble a little and, and Mm -hmm. really make my myself be heard and, and make others understand the world that I lived in.
0: So you, you went from this person that didn't want the attention to this person that got on stage and got the attention. What drove you or what drove that confidence to getting on stage?
1: I think the attention that I would get and I feel I feel so weird using the word attention because it just kind of makes me feel weird about about getting the attention or using that word. But just, you know, at the end of the day, people come up to you and and tell you, hey, that poem was really good. Or, hey, you know, I really felt that poem or, hey, how old are you and why are you writing like that? That kind of like drove me to want to to write more and and read more so more people could be aware that this that this was going on. So, you know, at, as a very young kid, I started getting uh people asking me those things and then they would kind of add me and say, you know, my daughter, I think would really benefit from this I know she writes but she would never get on stage. And then they would kind of add me on Facebook and they would follow me and, and, and the way that I was growing within poetry. And they just kind of showed that to their to their sons and daughters and showed them, hey, look, you should try doing this. I don't know if any of them ended up joining us at the end of the day, but mm-hmm. just knowing that I was able to do that made me want to do it more, if that makes sense.
0: Um, and where did that confidence lead you to other than getting on stage?
1: Um, it led me to, um, a a very different career. I think it led me to, uh, me getting into the communications, um, uh, world. And I joined, um, well, first of all, I think, I think backtrack a little bit when I was very, very young it kind of led me to want to be more out there. And so, you know, I started joining the student council and and I became very involved. I became student body president for my middle school. I like, you know, won most friendliest and stuff like that. And that just kind of like, it made me open myself um, to a certain extent. And then after that, when I joined um, or when I went into high school, I joined a magnet school called, um, Vidal Entrevino School of Communications and Fine Arts. And I joined the communications department and their radio and TV program. And fast forward my four years, I'm doing radio and TV. Um, my senior year, I we have a big event for all of the students and I had been so focused in radio. And that's kind of where I'm saying that that confidence led me to want to do radio and TV. I was focused on radio and shortly after I got a a job at the at a at a local radio station and I worked there for I want to say it was two to three years and then after that throughout college I worked there in the summers so it kind of drove my confidence pretty high enough to to speak to millions of people on the radio.
0: Wow and then after that you joined um the school of communications
1: Well, yeah. So, I mean, yes, right. So, after the poetry, I joined the School of Communications, and then I joined the radio station, and I was doing radio for for two to three years.
0: And when you were doing radio, that's a whole... See, you went from not wanting any attention to doing radio.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: That's what I think is so crazy, and it was all driven by poetry
1: yeah yeah that's without doubt
0: um and then you went to college
1: yes that is correct I um I did uh, a year here in my hometown um went to the university here in my hometown and then after that I transferred um to Texas State University in San Marcos um it's so weird saying San Marcos everybody just says it but you know, I I can roll my tongues pretty well. Texas State <laughs> University in San Marcos. Um, <laughs> and I majored in public relations and Spanish while I was there.
0: Um, while you were at San Marcos, did you continue doing poetry?
1: Yeah, actually, I was... Um, yeah, I was kind of in the down low for a little bit. I think my first year, I just kind of wanted to get well acquainted with being there and and being a full time student. Um, and then after that, um, an individual came to the same town that I was in uh, and was also very expressive with wanting to do poetry, and we kind of communicated about that, and we started a uh, a spoken word uh poetry uh organization at the university and and yeah so i was still um, fairly involved not as much as i i wish i i could have been but i i you know after we started that organization at texas state uh, we went full on we we started having workshops we started having poetry slams um we would get people from out of town coming down to San Marcos, and, and mind you, San Marcos is such a beautiful town because it 's so close to Austin and it 's also very close, fairly close to San Antonio, so it was so easy for poets from those two towns to come into san marcos and mm-hmm. We also didn 't have that many poets, competitive poets coming in, so it was a good practice for these competitive poets from Austin and San Antonio to come practice at our slam
0: to be mm-hmm. able to get better
1: to go to their big time uh uh poetry slams so yeah um, still fairly involved started an organization so i think that makes me involved enough for as much as i could
0: have been <laughs> <laughs> um and then you you came home and got back into laredo border slam and are currently like the youth coordinator
1: yeah, that's correct. I did um, three years in San Marcos. I uh, I started the organization there. Things happen. Organization is no longer <laughs> at being. Um, came back to uh, Laredo. And I think I, I really want to say it was like, yeah, because it was August. I think I may be. I, I want to say it was around um, Six months after I got back, I joined the LBS board, and I became their youth coordinator.
0: How was it coming back home?
1: It was weird. A big part of me wanted to come home because people that I loved the most were here, but the freedom and and the abilities that I had being away from home were so, so nice, and I missed Mm -hmm. that, but I also missed... The people that I loved more, so that's kind of what drove me back home.
0: Love definitely comes full circle.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs>
0: Do you have another poem that you could share with
1: us? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'll read a poem that I read or that I wrote um, during my college years, and and I'm, I'm you know, this kind of does come full circle. But when I was here in town. I was writing poetry like the one that I read before and things that I kind of knew that I was raised around and, and things that really spoke to me. And then once I left to college, I was exposed to a very different world. And so I started writing poems like this. So this one is called English as a Second Language. English as a Second Language. Take me. A green, white, and red canvas painted over in red, white, and blue paint. White man says, fuck the ego. Stamp 25 stars so he knows where he is from now. Take me, a whitewashed mestizo who purposely struggles to pronounce his name to his white friends. Who purposely struggle to pronounce his name to his white friends so he can sound less Aguila Patriota, more Star Spangled Banner. Take me. A brown boy in central Texas too afraid of speaking his native tongue, too afraid of forgetting his native tongue. Take me, as I read Tommy Lauren write the words, if they aren't shithole countries, why don't their citizens stay there? And so I think, if Christian civilization was so wonderful, why were its inhabitants leaving, sending all of its white boys and girls to a country that wasn't theirs to begin with? But this land, Tommy, this land was ours since the beginning. And America's civilization is a whitewashed story told by a man that came in three boats. So tell me, Tommy, how the fuck is this land more yours than mine? So take me. A Spanish-speaking boy in a school system telling telling him to forget the only language he has ever known to speak. Learn an entire language in a semester, white white teacher says. Should've known this is the only language we speak around here, boy. What happened? Education not good enough where you come from? I know, I know this is your safe haven. Please come in, but leave what you know at the door. To be a Mexican boy in the States is to forget everything about the motherland. Disappoint your abuela as you forget to pronounce Spanish words. Forget the sensation of R's rolling in your tongue. It is to be a bad hombre to a white man that has never known oppression. It is to be told to go back to where you came from. It is seeing frat boys drinking a lot of beer while whitewashing Cinco de Mayo. Side note, the only people that celebrate Cinco de Mayo is fucking white people. Tell me why to be a Mexican boy in the U.S. is knowing that a traffic stop could be far much more than that. It is knowing that you made it out of the war in one piece. It is knowing that people are still dying in the motherland. It is being privileged with opportunities your primos never had, and so, as a brown boy in a Mexican, as a brown Mexican boy in a country that constantly tries to silence his tongue, I say, as a great Mexican proverb said, "Los quisieron enterrar, sin saber que éramos." Sim, yes. Thank you.
0: When you went um, to college, did you? I, well, at least as your sister, I could say that I feel like you gained a lot more pride in your heritage and your culture.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I certainly did. Um, I was raised in Laredo, Texas, obviously. Um, and so I want to say the percentage is something like 98% of citizens or, or residents here are of Hispanic heritage. And so mm-hmm. I wasn't exposed to very much aside from the Hispanic heritage. And so when I left, I knew that we weren't the only ones out there. Um, and, <laughs> and, and I knew the, the struggle of what it was like to be a brown boy outside of Laredo. And it was interesting. It was weird. It was knowing that people kind of look at you differently for absolutely no reason. Or, you know, as I was, as as it happened to me once, I was in my um, philosophy class, in my philosophy lab, and, and the TA, uh, the teacher assistant, uh, is talking about something to do with, with um, different races. And he turns to me and he says, why don't we have Senor Eliseo give us the um Hispanic side of this? And that was so weird and so, so, so crazy to me. It was just, it was, it was, I mean, just mind blowing that people even thought like that. Like, what? I just, I don't know. And that's kind of when I started thinking, okay, you know. I should be proud from where I came from. And, you know, when when you get exposed to this, at first, you're kind of ashamed because they make you feel ashamed. But Mm -hmm. then you're like, fuck that. I am who I am and I'm going to be damn proud of who I am.
0: Yeah. And you should be very proud of who you are. I, I don't think that you give yourself enough credit for who you are and who you've become. Um, You know, coming from, again, because I am your sister and I do know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, coming from a 10-year-old boy that, like I said, was very shy and not wanting to be center of attention to being a poet that speaks to hundreds of people um, and then going out of town and actually gaining the the experience and the strength and the pride that you've got in um, it definitely—it's something that you should definitely take pride in and that growth that you've made in the past ten, eleven years. Um, and because you are so young, uh, where do you see yourself in five years?
1: Yeah, and and thanks, thanks for that. Right before we move on. Uh, thanks for that. I think, yeah, I, I've grown a lot and I'm very thankful for that, but I still see myself wanting to grow more. Um, in five years and in, in the near future, I see myself becoming the best advocate I could come for, for those that needed. I am, um, I want to continue to provide for people as much as I can. I I want to grow in this specific community that I am in and, and want to give opportunities like the ones that were never provided to the people around me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want to be able to build things, build communities, build organizations, build programs that are going to help people. It's hard, very grassroots, and I need a get up and actually do it, you know, because WebA gets the best of us, and Mm -hmm. we don't do a lot of the things that we want to, but I have, I have it in me, and I want to be able to do it, so I'm hoping that, you know, in in the near future, in in five years, I'm able to start something that, that will give the opportunities that my friends and I weren't um, given
0: and I love the way you said that. I want to be able to build things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's very, you know, it, it's starting from the bottom. It, things exist now, thankfully, but I mean, not as much. And so we need to start from the very bottom and actually build these things and, and hear, hear people out mostly. You know, the, the career that I currently have has nothing to do with poetry and nothing to do with communications, but it has to do with care, healthcare and the lack of. And, mm-hmm. and that that also is a topic to be had. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the youth not having an opportunity, big topic. Another topic, the lack of healthcare around here, bigger topic. And, you yeah. know, the topics just pile up and, and these are conversations that we have to have and these are also conversations that our elected officials should have with us instead of making decisions without hearing us out first.
0: Oh, definitely. Yes. Um, where do you see the future of your poetry?
1: Um, that's hard. I've, you know, I... I've had lost recently and... I think that has left me with no want to write at the moment. I, oh. I don't, I don't want to write at the moment. I, I know that I want to grow as a poet, and I know that I want to become a, a, a great poet and, and be able to, you know, kind of lead by example if I want to create a youth poetry slam, bigger than than this I have to become a youth uh, a a poet slam a poetry a poet uh, a slam poet sorry a (laughs) slam poet myself again I don't I can't find it in me at the moment but I I do I do I do want to try to find it again
0: um it's so you as a 23 year old um I'm 30 something (laughs) um I I, I'm recently um starting to see the connection between poetry and social work and I think a lot of times I felt like I couldn't mix the two and what recently came to my attention was imposter syndrome and that's basically you telling yourself you know you're not good enough you're there's better people than you there's more educated people than you and so Now I'm starting to see, you know what? It was just a lie that I was telling myself. The truth is that if I want to become a social worker, I need to become an advocate. I need to become the voice of those that cannot be heard. And poetry allows me to do that a lot of the times. Um, And so I feel like you're going there as well you know yeah. becoming an advocate is raising your voice and raising your voice is poetry <laughs> is spoken word
1: yeah definitely and and i think you bring up a good a good topic i i i've been trying to wake up every morning and listening to this playlist on spotify um called daily wellness and they kind of just have small little um podcast style talks at the beginning of the day you listen to it they help you breathe in and breathe out and you know get ready for the day but today's specific talk was very similar to what you were talking about Is and and their 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 suggested question to ask yourself is who told you that you know
0: Mm -hmm. you know
1: when 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 you think i know i can't do this or why am i even thinking about doing this or that's way out of my, 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 um, my league. Mm-hmm. Sit down and ask yourself, who told you that? Nobody did, but yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: get over it. You know, it, it wasn't, nobody is expecting less from you, but yourself.
0: Hmm. Wow. That's awesome. That's a, that's yeah. a great message too. To tell yourself in the
1: mornings, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely is. And, and it's it's just, it's wanting to wake up in the morning and actually do things because, you know, I, as I said, weva sometimes gets the best of you and, and you just don't want to do anything that day. And you have so much you want to accomplish, but you're self-telling, you know, you're telling yourself, man, nah, don't even think about it. Or there's already people doing it. Why even do it yourself? No, you know, take a step back and think, nobody's telling you that you could get up your bed,
0: mm-hmm. take a
1: shower, do your bed and, and get your shit together and go do it.
0: Yeah, beautiful message. Um, I'm going to read you a quote and I want you to let me know what it means to you and how it makes you feel. Are you ready? Yes, I think I am. Okay. It is 3am and I am hoping there is something or someone that'll answer me back. Pick up a pen and a paper and write. This is the 14th poem I have written at 3am and I still can't find someone or something that'll answer back. Y'all this paper often feels like it hasn't been reading itself in between the lines. It doesn't seem to understand that there are times I wish I can get gone. There are times I feel these walls are closing up on me. I am scared they're going to explode with how much of me they've been holding. They cannot hold me. I cannot hold myself.
1: That's my (laughs) poem. Um, yeah, I think I read that when I was obviously going through a very hard time in my life. And poetry exists, and it's very helpful. And I'm a strong advocate of that. But life does get hard sometimes. And -hmm. not even poetry could save you kind of. And that was just kind of that was that was that time of my life where it was very, very, very hard for me. I was you know, going through it, and I tried writing about it, but even that didn't help, and, and so that was just me trying to say, like, look, it's so damn hard that not even this is working. I go on, Um, you know, further, further through a poem on how I was able to get out of it, and, and it was, it was kind of going back to what we were talking about two seconds ago. It's just accepting the space that I am taking up and saying, this is me fuck it you Mm -hmm. like me you don't this is going to be me and and it was that it was just kind of acknowledging that I was alive at the moment and being thankful for that you know not to say that your problems aren't enough but you you are alive and so you could maybe take advantage of that and live your life you know and that's kind of how that poem ends and saying like I am alive and and it's hard. It's really hard, but I am going to live my life because I'm here now and, and I need to do something about that.
0: And every moment is a, is a moment to change. You could change everything in a second.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you really can. And I mean, you know, I, I, I know life is hard and I know it throws you curveballs a lot of the time, but you are able to, to navigate through it if, if you can and make it a better a better day tomorrow
0: Mm, yeah um where can our listeners find you on social media
1: yeah um I'd first like to shout out uh, YPI because you know that's the organization I want to make Mm -hmm. it grow but you could find Young Poets Ignite on Facebook at Youth Poetry uh, or Youth Poets Ignite on Facebook and we also have a group Facebook group for only youth um, poets uh, also called Youth Poetic Night once you like us you could you know kind of send us a dm and say I want to be part of that group and we'll be more than glad to 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 put you in that group but personally you could find me on Instagram at at least underscore Secha, that's e-l-i-s-e-o underscore c-e-j-a and then on Facebook at Eli Seca.
0: Awesome, oh, um, Twitter too.
1: I'm actually on Twitter too. I try to get involved on that as much as I can. You're
0: active uh, on Twitter, yeah. I,
1: I try to be. Yeah, it's Eli underscore on air.
0: Awesome. Um, you also have a, a business that you do. You want to also add that as a platform that people could find you sure. in? Sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a shameless plug. I it's just a little side hustle I've just I've grown to appreciate vintage clothing and streetwear clothing and so I've um I've started this small little side hustle um definitely not taking too much of my time so I try to be on it as much as I can but not as much as I wish I would um and that's at um spotlight uh finds on instagram you could find me on instagram at spotlight finds and that's mostly you know streetwear and vintage clothing
0: yeah man like the hustle is real <laughs> I mean the struggle yeah. is real and the hustle is real too
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly I I just you know it's a it's a it's a good time for something that I enjoy and that I'm, I love seeing and, and I appreciate so why not maybe make a couple of bucks out of it
0: yeah, definitely. And I am happy that you are engaging in stuff that makes you happy. I hope you continue to make yourself happy. I hope that you continue to engage in things that make you happy, which includes poetry and helping others and being an advocate for healthcare and for today's youth that feel they don't have a voice and giving them that platform and that voice. Um, so thank you so much Eli thank you so much for being that shy little 10 year old brother and growing up to be a strong confident poet Um, and thank you so much for being in the podcast thank you for being yourself
1: no I think the things have to be given to you I mean if we're being honest here none of this would have been possible if it wasn't for you and and you exposing me to to Poetry Slam and, you know, the amount of opportunity that you've given me and, you know, not only you, but my family has given me. I think that's that's the, the thanks that has to be given. Thank you so much for having me. I am so, so, so excited for you mostly and the start of this podcast. I cannot wait to see how much it grows and, and you know, I don't have any doubt in myself that this is going to grow so much more.
0: Thank you so much. Eli. And like I said, I, I don't even remember why I started taking you to Portrait <laughs> That's why I was all like, why don't you tell me why? When did this start? So you did it all on your own, bro. So thank you so much for, for supporting me for and I will continue supporting you. Thank you. Hey y'all, so I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode and I just wanted to remind you all that it was brought to you by In the Name of Grace. Take advantage of the 10% discount they are giving our listeners only if you mention that you heard them in the Be Yourself podcast. Get custom items to show off your true self.